Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Emily Keegan is constantly thinking about how images come into being, how they influence what we see, think and believe. During the pandemic, she began to share her research and reflections on Instagram an enlightening experience for anyone fascinated by photography's omnipresent role in our lives. In this kind of casual visual anthropology, she invites us into her particular way of seeing the world with care, humour, joy and endless curiosity. As a prominent photo editor, she really understands how the physical, human and cognitive need to blend together to make a great photograph. Her insights offer so much not just to aspiring photo editors and photographers interested in what happens behind the scenes, but to us all, as she reflects upon the wider consequences of photography in our lives and how it informs who we are. She handles this responsibility with refreshing candor. When I am successful, I am in the pocket, right? I'm between these two mantras that this is not mattering, right? This is freedom, this is joy, this is not brain surgery, right? No one's going to die if I choose the wrong photo. And this totally matters because all art and all creative endeavors matter to the world, right? And if you can kind of stay in that middle spot, that's the flow. That's when things are going well. I'm Jen Fletcher, and this is The Messy Truth, Conversations on Photography. Emily Keegan started photo editing at Time magazine by accident in 2005. Her original intention was to pursue a career as an artist before she became enamoured with photo editing. She got her Master's in Photography at the Royal College of Art in London and went on to work at a number of leading US publications. She's perhaps best known for her time at The Fader, where she reimagined the visual landscape of the magazine, giving many photographers their first cover. She is now freelance, engaged in multiple creative projects, living in California with her daughter and partner. When did you first realise that photographs were really interesting or, or this really generative medium for you? Oh, I don't know, like age five or something. <laughs> I mean, it was like, it was just forever. I mean, I remember waiting for my ride to school when I was probably in, yeah, kindergarten. And my mother, my mother was a photographer before she became a graphic designer. And so she had all of these photo books on a shelf kind of on the ground. And I remember sitting in the corner. Um, it's very cold in the, in California, in where I live in, in the, um, in the mornings. And I would sit by the, the heater and just look at photo books all morning, waiting for the ride to school. And it was like the best part of the day. Cause I also hated school. So, um, <laughs> I think it's just always been there. And I mean, I think in the 20th century and now, especially photography is there all the time for everybody, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the camera is in your pocket and 
we are all obsessed with making photos and taking photos at this point. Um, that was less so in the 80s when I was growing up, but um, it was just always the thing for me. And I tried, as I said, I like to blow things up that I'm all the time. Um, I tried to not do it. I thought I wanted to do um, be a literature major. I went to a liberal arts school and I tried really hard to kind of push photography aside, but it kind of kept creeping in. And what I love about photography is that it's a really open source medium, right? So it touches everything. It's the, it's the, what is the Bart quote? Like um, photography crushes all other images with its tyranny or something. I think I might've just butchered that, but it's once you kind of dip your foot in, it's hard to get away from it because it's everywhere, right? It's the citizen, it's the artist, it's the scientist, it's the journalist, it's the way we communicate. And at a liberal arts school, I was allowed to let it be more than just a camera based, right? I could use it to communicate in in my gender studies class, or um, I could dip into it in, in literature and kind of talk about books and how they relate to the image. And so it kind of became just the center of how I see the world. And I, I just can't stop. I mean, it's like, it's kind of, it's an obsession. It's, it's, a, it's the obsessive mind. It's really what it is. It's like the, the ADD obsessive mind of mine, which is that I see an image and then I just kind of eat it up and spiral and begin to wonder about how it came into being and how it's influencing how we see and hours will go by of kind of research just on a Saturday afternoon instead of going to the market or whatever I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah, you just get totally captivated by it, right? Yeah, yeah. Once you start, my, my, my remember my mother, I don't know, I was probably in middle school or something and we were talking about photography and she said once you start seeing in frames you can't stop Mm. and I was like yeah that seems about right yeah there's something about and I know you do this a lot as well like revisiting older photo books right now that I'm really obsessed with because I feel like we're at this like sort of pinnacle of change in the industry like we haven't really quite got where we need to be going but there's a lot of flux there's a lot of change there's a lot of photographers some editors doing really interesting things to like push the industry forward in in all different ways and it's so fascinating now to go back to like you said like the books in the 80s and the 90s and the exhibitions and the different monographs and just look at how things were positioned yeah it's so it's so fascinating how as you say just like this epic influence on culture that I think even though we know it and we talk about it all the time like it's almost so omnipresent you can't actually get a full sense of it it's just it is just everywhere all the time yeah and yeah I don't know it's sort of wonderful and terrifying all at the same time right and everything is influencing everything else right Mm -hmm. I mean the way that we see the world through our cameras uh changes the medium right like it's it's just wild it's wonderful it's like a it's like swimming swimming in a large ocean, but with our eyes, I guess. Mm. 
I think a lot of people who are listening will know you from the incredible, incredible work you did at the Fader, which felt like for me, a really defining moment in contemporary editorial photography. I think some of the things you did there, you can still see have have a ripple effect now in, in commissioning and, and the different styles. And it feels like you also really shifted the visual style from where the magazine was previously. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about what it was like working there and if you had a specific remit when you started to make a change aesthetically. Oh, uh, well, thank you for saying that about my work. I never um, think about it. <laughs> I never, <laughs> you know, you like when you're, yeah, you're just doing kind that. of like just commissioning, moving forward, pushing the stone up the hill. <laughs> yeah, I did. It is a big shift from from what they were doing previously. Prior to my being there, you know, the, the, the photo department was really based in documentary style, a documentary style. And uh, everything was shot in daylight. That was the conceit. Um, and that was the direction for every image, uh, for every cover image. Um, and part of that was because of the access they were allowed. Um, you know, musicians would give the fader like many days to just follow them around, to just shadow them. And that was the kind of way pictures were made. Someone would go and just spend three days hanging out with cat power and mm. uh, something would happen and that would be a cover. When I started, the the music industry was changing. Um, there was no way I was going to get three days shadowing Rihanna. That was just not going to happen. But I also am a uh, micromanager, perhaps, or <laughs> anxious person or something. Um, but I don't work I, I don't just send a photographer out with a camera and say, you know, shoot in daylight and we'll figure something out. I like to do a lot of thinking about an image um, in pre-production and thinking about a story and how what we can do photographically that will lift the story up or complement the story or just show the subject in a new light or maybe in an old light I mean maybe what we were trying to communicate is something that's already been communicated and we just want to put a slight twist on it but I think that I don't have a hard and fast aesthetic it really is like based on the moment and the story that we're we were tackling um so anyway so one of the things that we had to make sure we did was um like provide hair and makeup for people and you can't just follow someone around for three days and with a stylist and hair and makeup, right? <laughs> so that kind of just changed all of production. And ultimately that changed the way the fader looked. I mean, I also have like the attention span of a gnat, I think, when it comes to photography and don't really love doing the same thing over and over again. Um, mm -hmm. There are so many photographers in the world and so many ways to photograph something that I like to kind of mix everything up all the time. And then I also was interested in hiring photographers that were maybe new to the scene and giving them the giving them the opportunity to have a platform to show their work. I felt like the magazine's whole concept was to highlight and celebrate new artists in the music and culture, and so we should be doing that with photography too. And sometimes you know, I hired people who'd been 
working for a long time. I mean, I hired Jason Macedo a few times. He is definitely not new to the scene. But yeah, those were kind of my guiding principles. Yeah, I remember thinking you gave so many young photographers at that time who are now, you know, all got amazing sort of flourishing careers, like their first covers. And it was just like, I mean, I don't even really read music magazines, but it was a magazine I wanted for the pictures, not <laughs> for the information, because there was all, always so many exciting photographers and the covers were always, this, sounds, this is going to sound cheesy, but they felt so intrinsically the fader but were never predictable and never followed a particular or predictable aesthetic it was it had so much variety I just there's not many magazines honestly that and I'm a real magazine junkie like there's not many magazines that I think you can say that about but yeah you just really you just whether it was like a moment in time or the fact that you had you know this amazing pool of photographers and all of the research you did as well just like there was something really magical that happened while you were working there I think oh shit thank you yeah I I really love them I think you can go back to the work now and think it completely still stands up it feels really contemporary if you saw it today so I think yeah I think all credit to you um I also I remember laughing out loud reading an interview you did with the BJP the British Journal of Photography when you were talking about working there and you said you have a list of like music shoot cliches like this you basically have a no list so no chain link fences no prayer hands no posing with an instrument no singing with a mic singing into a mic with your eyes closed and I was laughing so much and I just wondered like no melons that's that's (laughs) no melons please do you do you always have like a set of no's when you're thinking about briefs oh yeah absolutely because otherwise they'll show up holding a melon in front of a chain link fence. And the, I shit you not, the one time that I was like, oh, no, this photographer, the, we've worked together a bunch of times. It should be a problem. We we're working in a studio. There's no chain link fences in a studio. And he brought a fucking chain link fence to the studio <laughs> without, you know, I wasn't like overseeing it. I was like, oh, it's OK. I, I, I was pretty hands off. And I was like, oh, my Jesus. <laughs> I really have to put that in the notes from now on. There's always, there has to be a no list and it's got to be really uh, crisp and clean, you know, yeah. no, no pussyfooting around. You really have to like be clear about what you don't want. I love it. I think that honestly, it was like hilarious, but also a real eye opener to me. It was like, I need to start adding no list to my briefs. I think it's great. What, what did you discover working there about, about picture making and also about yourself in terms of, uh, of being a photo editor? Because it, it does feel like it, it was a really generative time for you. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was really fun. It was, um, I had a lot of creative freedom. And, you know, I really think I didn't take myself seriously as a photo editor. I didn't take the job seriously. I didn't think it mattered for a long time. And I didn't think I mattered in um, who I was hiring or why I was hiring them. I just kind of was doing it, right? And then at the fader, it became clear that people were looking at what I was doing. And I had to really think through and consider what I was doing and and why I was doing it. And I think that was ultimately a a good thing and, and made me make choices kind of more consciously. I mean, I think we were also having um, a really good conversation within the community about commissioning, how we were commissioning, who we were commissioning, and why. Um, I think that started right before 
I started at the fader. Maybe I remember kind of having those conversations when I was still at Business Week. But I I think those were really good conversations to have. I was curious to ask you a little bit about process. You kind of touched on it before in terms of talking about the research, but I think it goes there's so much that goes into great commissioning, much of which is unseen, even often by colleagues in the magazine that you're working with, I find. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about your research process and kind of how you develop ideas sort of pre-production. Well, uh, we get a story in um, or I mean, now I'm not working for a magazine, but um, the structure still kind of holds. And then I just do research. I mean, I'm constantly pulling images just in my life, things that I love. I'm kind of always putting in a folder or tacking to my wall. I mean, I think I'm just constantly kind of gathering things. And then then I just start pulling things into a document or a folder that I think kind of feel right for the story. And once I have a sense of that aesthetic or what I'm excited about creating for this moment, then I find a photographer who fits with that. It's unusual that I I have in my mind a photographer and think, okay, this is, um, I really want to work with them. This is the opportunity. Let's figure out how to kind of shoehorn their aesthetic into this story. I kind of go the opposite way and try to find a photographer who fits with what I want to communicate aesthetically, which I don't know if everyone does it that way. But um, then uh, if it's a, if it's a specific subject matter, I just also make sure that I, I research how it's been photographed in the past or how they've been photographed in the past and get a sense of just their personality and what we want to make sure we stay away from so it's not repetitive. I'm curious where you sit on the scale of like being very into taking risks or being very risk adverse when it comes to commissioning. Oh, well, I used to like taking risks. The fader was a place that really allowed for that. Editorial in general allows for that because the stakes are low. I mean, you're working with tiny budgets. You're not trying to sell something. You don't have a ton of people staring at you and looking over your shoulder. It also has a big turnover rate, right? So it doesn't stick around for very long. It lasts for about I mean, depending on what kind of magazine you're in, it could the, at Business Week it was fabulous because it's like if you made a mistake one week, it didn't matter because the next week something else was happening. Someone once, when I was like, oh, I don't know if I should do this anymore. I don't, I don't know how I feel about making, being in the editorial world. It's too, the schedule is crazy, and they were trying to encourage me to get out, and they're like, you know, everything you make is ending up in the recycling bin. It doesn't last. It's you're literally making trash. And I was like, cool, cool. <laughs> this is a great party. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> um, and then I didn't stop. So, um, <laughs> but I do think about that every time I work in a magazine, like here we are making trash. Um, I think it's actually kind of a good thing to keep in mind, like uh, that no one is going to be watching. You know, mm-hmm. no one's actually going to see this. It's kind of mm-hmm. helpful for me. Um, freeing kind of yeah and does let me take some risks with photographers uh, taking a risk tends to mean using someone who doesn't have the experience that either is shooting something in a way that is new for them like they have an experience doing whatever war photography and you hire them to do fashion right or or doesn't have the experience because they're right out of school or young um, or haven't been given the opportunity. And 
I was really interested in taking those kind of risks with hiring when I was at the Fader. And actually before that, kind of my whole career, I've been interested in that, um, especially the kind of cross genre. And then I kind of realized like, okay, if I'm going to take these kind of risks, if I'm going to hire someone who doesn't necessarily have the experience, it's my responsibility to make sure that they have a scaffolding to Mm -hmm. succeed. And I really find, make sure that I have all of the pieces in place for them to succeed without my help, right? So to hire, make sure I hire a producer if they don't hire one themselves, make sure that we have someone uh, ready to go for retouching. I mean, the things that like you might, if you're new to something, might not know to have in place and make sure their whole support staff is, is experienced. If they're not experienced, their support staff needs to be. And it's my responsibility and it makes me much less stressed out to have that support system set. And then once that support system is set, you know, that photographer can thrive. I feel like you touched upon so much then. One of the things I did just want to talk about is money, because I Mm. feel like money in editorial is so fraught. And I think the UK is particularly bad. I know the US. Oh, yeah, the UK is bad. Yeah, it's really, really bad. It's really bad, yeah. Yeah. But it's interesting to me because you've worked at some publications which have been really financially stable and others which might have been a bit more volatile. And we're occupying like this odd time now where budgets, well, maybe for a long time, really, budgets don't cover the shoot costs, especially in fashion or like those big celebrity shoots. And the photographers end up investing like thousands of dollars sometimes into their shoots. Which it's just wild, feels isn't it? it's crazy, yeah. It's it's unsustainable, and and I'm curious. Uh, yeah, I'm just wanted to have a chat with you about it, I guess, because I'm curious how you think about it, how you feel about it, because it's a really fraught topic for me. Oh, I think it's fucked, man. I think <laughs> it's totally fucked. I, I think that it perpetuates a real problem within the industry, which is that only people who have wealth and financial backing can get these opportunities because I mean what I was paying people to do for me at the fader was just a crime truly and I every time I'd reach out to someone I'd be like so this is how much I have Mm. and they would always be like okay great I'd be like okay you shouldn't be saying okay great because it's really it's gonna be a problem and people dipped into their pocket to pay for travel to pay for um, assistance to pay for studios. I mean, it's wild. And, you know, the concept is you pay this and you get this exposure and then you get the big paying jobs. You get the commercial jobs that ultimately pay your rent. But this is a shitty system. And I don't mm. know how it solves itself because the, the, the bigger the budget, like beyond editorial, so the bigger budget is probably coming from commercial, the, the smaller the amount of creative freedom, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, people care more about what's being created, unfortunately. And so photographers aren't able to take the kind of risks that ultimately is an expression of their eye and their creative spirit. And that the eye and the creative spirit is what's going to get you good work, right? That's yep. what's going to propel your career forward is that kind of work. So that's a that's a bad cycle there. I just feel like it's one of those big things in the industry that doesn't get talked about enough and therefore never changes because everyone's just head in the sand. We can't, you know, this has been going on for so long. 
it's almost getting worse. It's not getting better, but nobody ever talks about it either. So there's no chance for it to become more of a dialogue. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? It's just kind of, yeah. I find it so frustrating. Yeah. Then we're in a really bad situation, which is that uh, photography can be extremely cheap, right? I mean, everyone has a pretty good camera on their phone. Mm-hmm. So just just asking for more money from uh, a client is, I have to explain to them like exactly how much a good photograph costs, right? Because they could get a totally decent stock image for a thousand bucks, yeah. right? Or they could take it, you know, they're like, but I take pictures on my phone for free. And it's like, yes, and they're shit. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, it is harder and harder to convince people that they have to pay for photography. Mm. You know, it all, it all comes back to visual literacy, which kind of hooks into a lot of different things, I think, in terms of what you're doing, because it's not just about there's the visual literacy of understanding quality and understanding, you know, what makes a good picture and why it has value compared to somebody taking a picture on their phone. And then there's the visual literacy in terms of, you know, thinking about I totally know what you mean when you're talking about, you know, in some ways, thinking about the fast churn of editorial as trash. But at the same time, I feel like commissioners play a really important role in society and they're shaping public opinion. They're they're shaping power and how we think about all these different parts of life and, and essentially informing our relationship to the world. And I think those pictures, whether they're around for a week or whether they're around for a lifetime, they, they still all play a role in that. And I Oh, think, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's something, again, that it's it's an odd one because it's such a big responsibility that you almost have to and I think I I see a lot of photo editors do this like you almost have to ignore or reject that responsibility because you can't you in some ways you can't carry that you have to just be reactive in the moment as you said but over the last few months maybe longer um on Instagram you've been talking you've been doing this like really fascinating visual excavation of thinking through editorial photography and how it defines a moment in time. And I wondered what motivated you to start sharing this? I know you've been thinking about these things for a really long time. Oh, I was just in the bathtub being like, (laughs) and then another thing, and then another (laughs) thing. And I just assumed no one cared because, (laughs) you know, like I haven't, I've been trapped in my house for two years and uh, have spoken to no one. So um, especially (laughs) at the beginning, I really like, I didn't realize you could save drafts in Instagram. So I was just like free balling it. And um, it, (laughs) it turned out that actually I had a lot to say and could that other people were interested too. And we're also having these conversations and thinking about these things. But what I love about editorial photography, and I, I realized it is trash, but it is beautiful trash. And one of the things I love about it is how quick it is. And it's, it's quickness is very helpful for understanding where we are at a moment in time, because it is responding to the visual world at that very second. I mean, you know, at Business Week, we would sometimes get a story on Monday and shoot it on Tuesday and then print it. You know, it was like, Mm-hmm. There was no time to, there was time to think it through and there was time to kind of be smart about it, but you were really reacting and creating and making decisions 
based on this, on the trends and on the color palette and on the, you know, hot photographers of the moment. And that's super interesting to me because then those images go out into the world, right? And are informing the, uh, you know, are, are added to the visual soup. And then mm -hmm. those are informing other people's choices and those choices are going to come back and inform you, right? So it's like this great kind of, I don't know, I find magazines, especially a great in to a moment in time because of their quick turnaround. Yeah, I mean, the stories that you're sharing are gripping. They've like made me fall in love with photography all over again. And I love watching how you kind of connect the dots between these seemingly random things or like different aesthetics and approaches which could seem off kilter, but they end up being completely interrelated, as you just said, like this feedback loop and how everyone's kind of influenced by everybody. I was just actually looking at old Vogue's and I came, I, I learned that a lot of women shot for Vogue covers, um, like between like 1930, late 30s, like 38 and the 60s. Like, I think the last, they had a photographer, a female photographer shoot a bunch of covers in 1963 and then nothing. There was not wow. a single female photographer uh, on the cover of Vogue until 1998, when they hired December 98, when they hired um, Annie Leibovitz to shoot Hillary Clinton, which is also a very strange choice because December 1998 was like peak impeachment for Clinton. Um, that entire year, the the Monica Lewinsky story uh, breaks, story breaks. Um, I want to say February, that might be wrong, but February 98. So Vogue was really saying something by choosing Hillary to be their cover, which is also unusual because Vogue doesn't tend to do celebrity covers, right? They like mostly mm. do models. So uh, interesting choice. It's kind of saying a lot without saying a lot. And it's just also interesting that they felt like they had to have a female photographer take that picture, whether or not that was Hillary's request but even the concept of being like I need a female photographer to shoot this woman that's about this story that's about women that kind of concepting uh seems very well frankly it seems very 2021 um mm -hmm. just thinking about identity that way uh mm -hmm. seems somewhat current I think what's interesting to me is that we have these moments that we kind of don't remember of uh, women being part of the discussion in photography or women having a real say. And then we tend to have a backlash to that. And we forget that there was a moment in time where women were present. You're listening to The Messy Truth, conversations on photography. So I've got a couple of quick fire questions for you just to respond to impulsively. Okay. <laughs> you sound nervous. <laughs> <laughs> the first is, how do you deal with self-doubt? Uh, not well. <laughs> is I stay is that in your bed. <laughs> <laughs> how did success change your work or how you think about your work? Oh, well, this is tied into your last question, which I don't think I've had success. So there we have it. 
I've got another question for you, which wasn't part of my list then. What does success look like for you? Uh, I guess I will be successful when I stop having self-doubt, maybe. (laughs) Self-doubt is part of the process, Emily. Self-doubt is why you're so good. Yeah, 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 yeah. What is is success? Um, I don't know. I don't know. That is a really good question. It's a good answer, to be honest. I don't know what it means anymore. But yeah, I mean, what is? Do you feel? Do you feel like you've you've found success? Do you feel successful? I don't know if I have a relationship to the word success. I think it's it's problematic, right? It's loaded. It comes with a whole history of like quite a limited way of it being defined. Whether you're, you know, usually whether you're financially successful. Um, but I, I think for me, as I've got older. I think I sort of think about success in terms of independence, like Mm. how much control do I have over the work that I do? Because what I'm always interested in is having the most amount of freedom to write about things I want to write about, talk about things that I want to write about, you know, collaborate, work on the collaborations. And I think that for me is what I think of now having worked for so many different companies and being being quite tethered to those rules whatever they were in those spaces um yeah I think of now freedom as success even though you know that could mean getting paid really badly or you know having to make lots of other compromises but freedom Mm -hmm. for me freedom of creative um endeavors is is how I think about success now which I th- I've noticed I think a lot is is true for a lot of people right I think a lot of photographers feel that way a lot of editors feel that way a lot of curators feel that way it's like how can you really be doing the things you really care about more of the time the things mm-hmm. that you really really care about like not the things that you think look good not the things you think everybody cares about not the trends but like the things a bit like your research the things that keep you captivated that make you you know want to get up and do stuff in the morning I think that that is so hard and so rare to kind of cultivate that even in the first place because I think we're all pulled in so many different directions so many different responsibilities so many different expectations um but yeah I think I think that's what I'm starting to realize which kind of sounds kind of isolated and maybe a bit self-indulgent but I feel like that's kind of what creative work is in some ways like you you make the best work when you're really in it and to be really in it requires quite a commitment of your time like you said like spending your Saturday afternoons thinking about pictures which I do the exact same and when you say that to people who aren't into don't think in that way and ha- and lead quite different lives. They're like, are you insane? Don't you ever chill the fuck out? And I'm like, but this is so generative to me. Like I get so much yeah. from that, that I wouldn't, I wouldn't actually switch it out for anything. The question of success really, um, really t- takes the wind out of me. You've had a really vibrant career so far. Has there been anything you've had to unlearn along the way? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing to unlearn is um, caring deeply and also believing that your eye and your creative choices are the correct ones and the ones that truly matter. Um, You know, everything that I've created has been a team effort and there are always editors involved. There's always a, a photographer involved and 
my opinion about something often is not the one that is listened to. I mean, sometimes it is, or there's often compromises, right? And that used to drive me fucking crazy. You know, I'd be like, I would show covers to editors and they would choose the one that I hated, you know, and I'd be like, why don't they listen to me? Don't they know I went to school for this? (laughs) And often they made a good choice, you know, their opinion matters too. And um, people see things in so many different ways, you know, like uh, we see a blue and Um, black dress or we see a gold and white dress. I mean, we just, nobody is seeing the world exactly like me and Uh that's okay. Um, And then it's not about me. It's not about, it's not a referendum on my worth as a person. uh, If my favorite photo doesn't get chosen for a cover or this isn't, this isn't about me really. And I guess that means to care less about each project, that the project is not my self-worth, right? It's mm-hmm. just, it's work. Um, yeah. And work is not who I am, ultimately. It's just part of the cre- of creating. It's just part of, of life. It's not all of it. That's been a pretty good lesson. I guess that happens when you get older and you kind of see the forest through the trees or whatever. Yes. Do you think feeling replaces caring Mm. in that context? Like you're just being sort of relying more on your intuition and like feeling your way through a project and not. So, yeah, sort of being more intuitive rather than, you know, caring or worrying so much about all of the consequences around it. Yeah. You know, I think that, I mean, this is going to sound, this is a little bit like the, friend who was like everything you're creating is trash um but, uh, <laughs> is to remember that um especially in the kind of work that I've been doing it doesn't matter you know like I'm not solving global warming here I'm not like sending someone to the moon this is like this is should be about joy and uh I mean okay first of all nothing matters and everything matters, right? Uh Like you can't live like nothing matters. Everything matters. Everything touches everything else. Everything that you do and put out into the world is making and touching the rest of the world in some way, right? Like every choice I made at the fader has to matter, right? Because it went out and someone saw it and it had an impact or didn't, but Uh right? So it matters, but also it doesn't really matter right? It's not like taking care of your child. It's not like spending time with your loved ones. It's not the stuff that truly makes a person whole, right? Mm -hmm. So keeping that balance, like knowing, I feel like when when I'm doing it right, when I am successful, okay, this is coming back to success, but when I am successful, I am in the pocket, right? I'm between these two, uh, mantras that this is not mattering right this is freedom this is joy this is not brain surgery right no one's gonna die if I choose the wrong photo and this totally matters because all art and all creative endeavors matter to 
the world, right? And if you can kind of stay in that middle spot, that's that's the flow, right? That's that's when things are going well. Do you still think photographs can change the world? Uh, uh, <laughs> it's not a trick question, even though it might sound like it is. It really, it is not a trick question, honestly. I just mean like quick fire. Do you think they can? Uh, the world. <laughs> um, yeah, not well, the- yeah. Sure, why not? Okay. I mean, okay. I mean, yeah. I don't <laughs> think topography can change the world. If you want to get... <laughs> shoot true. that one out, <laughs> photography. <laughs> yeah, sure. I managed to avoid, like, through I don't know if you noticed, but through this whole podcast, I imagine I managed to sort of circumvent getting you to talk about design and your frustrations about photography and design, <laughs> which is another <laughs> another joy in your Instagram stories. Another joy for me. God. <laughs> pissing off of my designer friends yeah I actually sent a text message to a graphic designer yesterday saying I am so sorry I I realize it's very hard and I'm sorry (laughs) that I ever was mean to you about it (laughs) (laughs) oh it's funny to finish up I wanted to ask you the question that I ask everybody at the end of the podcast and that's what matters more to you the process of making the work or the final image Oh, uh, the process. Yeah, the process. I thought I might say you might say. Yeah, that. I mean, in in editorial and commercial, the the final product so often is compromised, you know, mm-hmm. by requirements for the brief that or whatever your editor's choice or the designer. I love all designers. That <laughs> 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 um, yeah, you have to love the process. Thanks for listening to The Messy Truth. You can find more information about today's guests in the show notes. Theme music is changed by Judd Greenstein from the album Awake and design is by Ruby White. You can follow updates on the podcast on my Instagram at Jem Fletcher or subscribe to my newsletter at jemfletcher.com. Feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts.